Like we should count orgasms and not calories. That's so good. Hello, everyone. I'm Morgan, co-founder of Primal Kitchen and host of the Primal Kitchen podcast. Today, I'll be chatting with Dr. Amy Killen, an ex-emergency physician who left the emergency world to pursue her passion for anti-aging and longevity medicine. Dr. Killen's practice has pioneered one of the most innovative regenerative procedures currently available, the full body stem cell makeover. Not only is she helping you look good, but she incorporates sexual optimization and health for all genders in her programs too. She's on the cutting edge of skin, sex, and anti-aging and I cannot wait to get into this one. Before we get into details on looking and feeling good from Dr. Amy, a brief reminder that any and all opinions and views shared by hosts and guests on this podcast are the speaker's own, do not represent the view of Primal Kitchen or its affiliates or parent company. Hello. Hi, how are you? Welcome. Thank you. I'm just fangirling over here. I know I shared this with you, but I've been such a huge fan. And when I reached out and you were willing to come on the podcast, I was like, oh my God, I'm so excited (laughs) to talk about sex and skin and anti-aging and all these things with such an amazing woman who's had such a cool career. So tell me, tell everyone, how did you get here? (laughs) Um, Well, so I was an ER doctor. I was an emergency medicine doctor for about 10 years, Um, board certified in ER, worked in busy ERs, you know, kind of in a couple of different states. Uh, Towards the end of that, I had my three kids within two years and was just kind of feeling the stress uh, of, you know, of like almost single motherhood. My husband had moved out of state for a few years and, you know, just getting up at three in the morning to go to work and, and started seeing that I was just at like at my wits end, like not sleeping, not eating well, not exercising, you know, feeling stressed and just not like the best person to be around. Um, so I started kind of learning during those last couple of years in the ER. I, I, in my spare time, I spent some time learning about, you know, are there other things I can do to be healthier? Like how, you know, things I just hadn't learned really in medical school and started learning about kind of longevity medicine and preventative medicine and integrative medicine and, you know, all of these things that, um, that are out there. And over the course of several years, ended up leaving the emergency department and tra- transitioning fully into doing um, those other kinds of um, sort of healthcare and medicine. And eventually kind of zeroed in on sexual health and skin health because people kept asking me for help in those areas. And I was fascinated by kind of the overlap um, between them as far as prevention and treatments. And so, um, so that's what I do. I do sex and skin. I do a lot of anti-aging kind of regenerative stuff. And um, I love longevity medicine as well. Super cool. And you're in practice with, is it one partner? I have two different practices. So I have a stem cell practice with Dr. Harry Adelson. Then I have another practice that's a bigger kind of integrative medicine practice of my own as well. Well, cool. So that like, you can do everything like blood work, like the full metabolic panel, all the things, including anti-aging. Oh, very cool. And how did you meet Dr. Harry Adelson? I kind of stalked him. Um, <laughs> like I stalked you. So we already have so much in common. Okay. Exactly. I, I emailed him and I asked if I could just, you know, have a phone call with him or take him to lunch because he was doing all this amazing stuff with stem cells that really wasn't being done at that point. This is like eight years ago. And, and he was like, why don't you just come to my office and, you know, show up and you can watch some procedures. And I did. And it was so fascinating. And so I just kept showing up like over and over again. And finally he was like, ah, oh, you're clearly not going away. So why don't you come work <laughs> with me and you can do the cosmetic and sexual health and I'll do that, you know, I'll do the other stuff. So it's worked out great. I love it. That's awesome. Um, Okay. So let's start with sex. I feel like I could talk about your story forever and I'm, I need, maybe I need to have you on the podcast like three times because there's just like so much loaded content here, but I'm just going to dive right into it with the sex of it all. So what are you treating? How are you helping people in your practice with sexual health? 
So I treat specifically kind of age-related changes in sexual function. So I'm not an OBGYN or urologist. So I don't treat, you know, if you have structural problems or need surgery or things like that, that's, that's not my thing. But as we, as we age and that, you know, starting at 30 or so 35, you know, our bodies change um, as we, as we get older. And so there are different things that happen to our sexual organs. So I treat things like erectile dysfunction in men or erectile less function, as I call it. um, And some people, and then women, uh, female sexual dysfunction from all different things, um, often related to aging or childbirth or, you know, hormone changes or things like that. Got it. And what kind of treatments are you doing? Um, we do a lot of things we do. We'll do hormone replacement therapy if needed. Um, you know, lifestyle of course is, is number one to start with, with that, with that. Um, and then kind of progress to things that you can do at home, like nitric oxide boosting, um, things, and then we'll move on to other, like, you know, okay, using maybe. nitric oxide boosting things. What is that? Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, so <laughs> nitric oxide is one of my favorite things to talk about. So thank you for, for asking. Um, so nitric oxide is the, it's the, one of the main, um, chemicals that basically tell your blood vessels to open up, to vase dilate. So, um, so you need nitric oxide to get blood flow pretty much anywhere in your body. And what happens as we get older, we stop making, uh, nitric oxide because it's made within your blood vessels and you just lose the ability to make it. So by the time you're 40, you're making about half as much nitric oxide as when you were 20. And that just gets worse and worse and worse as you get older. And so you've lost the ability to get as much blood flow to various things, the skin, the hair, and the sexual organs. In fact, you know, your erections, which happen in men and women need nitric oxide. And so one of the big reasons we see, um, erectile dysfunction or, you know, or sexual dysfunction is lack of nitric oxide. So you can get nitric oxide from things like exercise, from getting some, some sunlight from, you know, red light therapy or photobiomodulation, PEMF, things like that. You can also get it from nitrate rich foods, specifically green leafy vegetables, beets, spinach, dark chocolate, things like that. Um, but if you're getting it from food, you have to have healthy bacteria in your mouth to convert the nitrates in food into nitric oxide. And if you're using something like night, like Listerine or any kind of antiseptic mouthwash, you're killing those healthy bacteria in your mouth. And you're not actually getting any nitric oxide from food because your body can't do it on its own. It has to have those bacteria. Yeah, so, so that's a, a quick tip for you for erectile dysfunction and some <laughs> convoluted chain. That is crazy. So what should you be using for oral health then? So there are several kind of do-it-yourself um, or, or more like holistic mouthwashes um, out there that you can use or, or recipes that you can make for yourself at home. Or if you have to use an antiseptic mouthwash like Listerine, just do it sparingly. Like don't yeah. do it twice a day, do it like once a week. Obviously people always ask me, should I still brush my teeth? And I'm like, yes, of course you should still brush your teeth. Yeah. You don't need to worry about the erectile dysfunction if you're not going to be brushing your teeth. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> right. But yeah. it's not just ED. I mean, nitric oxide is, is necessary for your skin health, yeah. for your hair health, for yeah. For workout, you know, for workouts, a lot of pre-workouts will have nitric oxide boosting like L-arginine or L-citrulline in them. Um, but you actually, uh, you know, can't always convert those in nitric oxide, um, depending on your age. So diet is super important when it comes to nitric oxide over the age of, you know, 40 or so. Got it. And what is this bacteria called that's in our mouth that we need? There's a whole bunch of different ones. They're called nitrate reducing bacteria. And basically you have to have them. Um, and once you kill them off, you, you'll get, you can get more, you can, you know, if you eat foods that have nitrates in there, your body will, will, the, the bacteria will find you somehow. I'm not sure how that happens. Um, but if you keep killing them off, you can just have problems. And the same thing, you can also have higher blood pressure if you're using if you're using Listerine or similar, because that's the same mechanism. You're not able to vasodilate, which is related to blood pressure as well. Wow. 
This yeah. Is there should be a warning on these products. That's like- I know. Yeah. I keep waiting for Listerine to come after me. I'm sure that they're, they're probably out there like, <laughs> stop talking about us, but it's, but it's, it's all, it's all true. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned lifestyle. So exercise, obviously, like we know the obvious things, right? Our listeners are pretty like with it, but what are the nitty gritty, like lifestyle factors that come into play here? So yeah, exercise, you know, getting sunlight can get, can increase nitric oxide because of the way that it, it interacts with your, um, your mitochondria, um, photobiomodulation. So red light therapy, which is light in the like 600 to a thousand nanometer range can also increase nitric oxide. Um, and then like things like hyperbaric oxygen, this, you know, which, which is, we don't all have access to, but that's a great way to increase nitric oxide as well. Cool. I love it. Okay. Um, so you had a recent post just talking about like orgasms and how important orgasms are. So can you just elaborate on this? This was like mind blowing to me on so many levels. I was just like, man, we're in America, like counting calories. We are like so off base here. We need to be counting like so many other things and calories is not even in the top, like 10 list. So give us the scoop on orgasms and I love that. Like we should count orgasms and not calories. That's so good. That's yeah, so good. Really good. Um, well, there's, there's so many links between sexual health and, and, you know, wrapped into sexual health is orgasms. And some of the studies just look at how often you're having sex. Some of them say, how much are you orgasming? You know, obviously they kind of go together, but in bet- between sexual health and health and longevity. And uh, so we know that, that people who have a healthy sex life tend to have, you know, fewer, like less anxiety, less depression. They tend to feel better about themselves, have stronger interactions with their partners. Um, there's relationships between sexual health and, um, and brain health. In fact, there's some studies that show that if you have an active, healthy sex life, you're actually increasing blood in your hippocampus in your brain, which is, um, which is going to be helpful for memory. And that older adults who are sexually active tend to have less cognitive decline than, the, than their friends who are not having sex. Um, there are, we know that, you know, people who are sexually active tend to have lower blood pressure, less pain. Um, they sleep better, their stress is better. Uh, and there's even some, at least correlation between, um, overall mortality and sexual health and, and healthy sex life in, especially in men, but women just haven't been studied as much. Yeah. God, shocker. Um, there was one, I think you had something that was like, if you have a hundred orgasms per year, your all cause mortality rate goes down like 68% or something crazy. Yeah. This is yeah. what I mean. This is where I'm like, this is what we should be counting ladies. Like this is what right. we should be counting. It's so true. And there's actually a study in women that looked at, you know, you do know what telomeres are, the little, the little things at the end of your, they're, they're essentially part of your chromosomes and they're the end caps. And as you get older, the telomeres get shorter mm-hmm. and short telomeres are one of the indicators that you're aging and, you know, you're aging faster. Um, and there's actually been a, some correlation between women who have healthy sex lives and having longer telomeres, which is a good thing. So sex and longer telomeres seem to go hand in hand as well. Interesting. So we like, hadn't really had defined like the purpose of orgasm, right? But it seems like there's probably a lot of underlying health purposes in humans for orgasm that we're not even like talking about are aware of. This is like every, my husband will be like, thank you very much. (laughs) Yeah. I I think that, you know, we know some things we know that orgasms will increase certain hormones like serotonin and dopamine oxytocin, which is the bonding hormone that you get, you know, when you have a baby, you have oxytocin and hugging gives you oxytocin and all of those things are really healthy. Um, having sex can increase testosterone, which is also going to be great for helping to build muscle and increase motivation and, um, you know, and, and, and increase libido and things like that. But I do think that there are other benefits to sex that we just don't even really know how to 
like how to quantify, right? Like how do we quantify that kind of feeling of closeness that you have with your partner partner that maybe you didn't have before? Like I have one of my good friends, I was talking to her about this and she was like, yeah, like, you know, if my husband and I did and I didn't have sex, like, I'm not sure how I could stand him. Like, and she's like, you know, the sex kind of resets, like the fact that I was angry at him and I'm, and he's bothering me and now it resets it. So there's, you know, there's relationship stability that goes into it. There's so many things that kind of play into it. Yeah, no, it's so true. I mean, I've got a three-year-old and a one and a half-year-old and I can tell like, you know, sometimes, you know, we're just fucking exhausted over here, right? Let's be honest, two, two under three at this household. And yeah. I can tell if it's been like, you know, a few days too long. I'm like, this is like not your, your communication changes. You are like annoyed with each other. And it really does. It really does change things. Okay. So that brings me to my next question. Libido. Like, are you helping women with libido and men with libido in your, in your practice? Yeah, definitely trying to. <laughs> um, yeah. Libido is a big one. And, you know, it's it's so funny with women, especially when I ask them, you know, how's your libido? Almost always the answer is what libido? Like yeah. the answer is, is very, very rarely. Oh, it's amazing. Um, I think it's a kind of a chronic problem that a lot of us have. Uh, and it's, you know, it's multifactorial. So it, it could be hormones. It could be testosterone, progesterone, estrogen, you know, some kind of changes with that, but it also could be so many other things. Yeah. yeah, Stress with how your relationship's going with your kids, with, you know, who the dishes that were left on the counter that now you're irritated about and you don't want to have sex because of it. Like there's just so many things that play into that um, for both men and women, but especially for women, I think. Yeah. And are there any like supplements or anything that helps that you've noticed? Or is um, it I, think, I think the supplements that help the most are probably the ones that are going to help with the stress the most. Um, there are a lot of other supplements out there that, you know, like maca and, and horny goat weed and things like that, that, that may have some benefits on, on increasing uh, libido. But I, I think that if, if we can, in my patients and in myself, what I see is if we're able to kind of control our stress and the way that we interact with, you know, with challenges in the outside world, then that's going to be going to make us more receptive to having sex and to being sexually interested. Um, yes. That's one of the biggest blockers I see. And, and you know, stress like you know, high cortisol levels are going to are going to deplete your testosterone levels. And, and both men and women have testosterone, of course. And if we have low testosterone, we almost always lose our interest in having sex. And so that those things go hand in hand. Interesting. And what are you doing to combat stress, like personally in your life? Um, I do a few things. I mean, I try to spend time alone every day It when I first wake up and before I go to bed. And that's like, that's kind of important for me just to like get, I, you know, get my kids out, my husband out, like everyone out, the, the dogs out, it's just me. Um, I exercise, you know, I do all different kinds of exercise and, and yoga and things like that. Um, the biggest thing for me, I love getting outdoors. I live in Utah. And so just going on a walk, like in the woods or a hike, like if I'm feeling really stressed and, and angry and pissy and can't deal with anything, I just walk outside and go up in the mountains and, and, you know, turn off all my devices and just make it me and quiet in the woods. And that helps a lot. Yeah. Outside is such a thing. Okay. Back to the libido thing. What's with weed, marijuana and its effect on for men and women. Yeah. I just did a post about that. It's kind of interesting. There's been some correlations and correlation doesn't mean causation. You know, it, it just means that there's potentially, um, a cause, but there's, there's been a number of studies, including a kind of a big study, a big meta-analysis that showed that in men frequent marijuana use or frequent cannabis use, um, is, is tied to erectile dysfunction. So men who use 
weed more frequently have a 68% chance of ED versus like 30% chance. These must be like what old, a little bit older men, I'm assuming. Um, whereas with women, there was no such correlation. And in fact, the use of cannabis was tied to increased pleasure, you know, improved orgasm, increased libido and no sexual dysfunction. Um, And the same was true in men who had like depression or anxiety. So in those, in that population, the use of cannabis was helpful versus harmful. So it's very interesting. And I think that we'll learn more about this. You know, unfortunately we don't know, there's so many different strains, obviously of, of cannabis and there's different things, you know, we don't know which ones are good or which ones are bad and, you know, for who, Um, but it's really fascinating. Yeah, it's very fascinating. Um, I feel like I'm just throwing them at you, but like, but talk to me about masturbation too, because I feel like this is there's like so much stigma about masturbation for men and women, and just can you do it too much? Does it actually affect athletic performance? I know that's like a big like timing of that's a big thing for like male right. athletes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, such good questions. Um, and we're in the middle of no nut November, which I don't know what you know. I don't know. Everyone is like, there's a bunch Tell of there's us a whole, more about that. Yeah. So there's a whole movement among, among, um, among men primarily that they are essentially go the whole month without, um, without ejaculating. So it's called no nut November. Um, and they say it does all kinds of things. So, but as far as, as far as the science goes, a masturbation is totally healthy for men and women. There should not be any guilt. There should not be any shame. Um, and it's, it's crazy that there still is, um, as far as the effects on, there's a lot of sort of rumors and things out there about that, that ejaculation will, um, yeah, to, will decrease athletic performance or will, you know, you're releasing all your energy and now you're sapped of energy and you shouldn't yeah. do it very often. And you should wait two weeks in between and all these things. And really there's, there's very little to no evidence behind that. Like we do know that if you wait, you know, if you're like three or four, five, six, seven days in between ejaculating for men, you will see an increase in testosterone. However, that doesn't seem in studies to correlate to changes in athletic performance. It doesn't seem to change, you know, to correlate to anything else that necessarily means anything. It's just a a number that changes a little bit. Um, So people always are, you know, I kind of, uh, I kind of don't think that you need to be um, restraining necessarily. You can do it too much. I mean, I think that there are, I definitely have patients who are using porn, um, you know, kind of, uh, chronically frequently and they become, they become desensitized to actual humans and actual human sex. And they have problems with erections and and ability to, to finish um, with humans because they're so used to, to, you know, using porn. Um, So I think that certainly if you get to that point, that's too much and you should, you need to pull back. Um, But otherwise that, you know, if everything's working, you feel good, then I don't think that you have to worry about it. Nice. Okay. And is penis enlargement a thing? It is, it is a thing. Um, so there's a couple of things out there that people are doing. The, the simplest one, which may or may not work is using something like platelet-rich plasma injections. Okay. Into the well, tell us about what that is. What's platelet Okay. So PRP has been around for like 30 years. Basically, it just means taking the blood, some blood from the patient's arm, we centrifuge it or spin it, and we isolate the platelets, and then we inject those back in. And so it's been used for like musculoskeletal pain and dentistry and all kinds of things because it helps to increase the activity of the your stem cells in your body. It essentially like kind of kickstarts your stem cell activity. Um, so we've been using PRP for penises for about, about eight years now to try to increase function, blood flow, things like that. And some 
some men have noted improvements in size as well, especially if they're also using like a penis pump afterwards, the two of those things tend to, um, to go, to go hand in hand and they can help to increase size. Um, other things like exosomes or stem cells can also do the same thing. Um, and then there are some people like, like plastic surgeons, especially who will do, he'll do like fat grafting, like fat injections into the penis to increase the girth of the penis. Um, and then there are also other surgeries that people have done that I don't do that can increase size, but the easiest things are penis pumping, which you can do at home. And, um, and then also things like PRP is pretty easy and very safe. Yeah. I just like would never think a penis pump actually works. Like that sounds like something that would be on like a tele, I don't know, like a, one of those, like, <laughs> I don't know, on Home Shopping Network or something that would be on at two in the morning that I would be like, yeah, uh-huh. That's yeah. So it does, you know, it does work because um, it, you're essentially creating a vacuum that pulls blood in, into the penis. And so I use it with all, all of my patients when I do any kind of procedures or anything on them because we really need to encourage blood flow. And yeah. it's kind of interesting. You'll appreciate that uh, this, I don't, I, I don't know, I think you will. But, you know, like when you exercise, you get blood flow all over your body, right? Like you're increasing your blood flow to your muscles and your brain and all these things. And it's super healthy. But the penis doesn't get increased blood flow when you exercise. Like it kind of just lives there, like in this kind of low flow state. Okay. And the only way that it gets increased blood flow is by having an erection. And so as you get older, especially when men stop having like nocturnal erections, like nighttime erections, which yeah. happens with age, you are not getting the, that increased blood flow and oxygenation that you need to keep the cells within the penis healthy. And so in those cases, using a pump where you're actually forcing blood in can keep the cells of the penis healthier for longer. Interesting. <laughs> Love it. Is your practice like mostly men or mostly women? Are you 50, 50? Like what are you yeah, it's 50, 50. It's both. I, I, I love, I can't, I love both of both. I can't stop. They're both yeah, so good. I bet. And yeah. And are you seeing like mostly what are, what's the, what's it comprised of? Like if you had to break down the pie chart for me, what, what are you seeing mostly? I mean, I do, I do. So a lot of my patients will come in and want something. They want like help with sexual dysfunction or the just increased sexual performance. Like it's right. not it's probably half of my patients don't actually have a problem to begin with. They're just like, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm 40 or 45 or 50 or whatever. Um, and I would like to have things work like they did when I was 20. Um, yeah. and they're, so they're looking for like optimization or kind of betterment. Yeah. And that's probably half of my patients, whether that's the sexual stuff or the skin I do, you know, I do a lot of skin rejuvenation. I do hair restoration. Um, and so about half of them don't really have problems. And then half of them have something specific that they're, that they're concerned with. Um, and, and we'll Come in for me for that reason. And then it's, you know, about half, half female, half male. Cool. Okay. So moving on to skin, I don't know how i I feel like I, there's just so much there, but moving on to skin. So what are your just tips for skin for at home? Say you're not even going to come see, you know, what's the regimen supposed to look like? Does it change by decade? Like where, do, where should people start? I'm assuming yeah. sunscreen. I feel like everyone tells us to put on sunscreen, but yeah. Yeah. So sun, so sunscreen or sunblock, I prefer, I prefer sunblock. Sunblock is going to be like a mineral, um, sunblock, like zinc, zinc oxide or titanium dioxide, where it just physically blocks the UV light from getting to your skin. And I think for, you know, for faces, necks and backs of the hands, daily sunblock is super important because, because the sun and photo aging is the number one cause of skin aging. Um, by far. Yeah. Uh, also, but I also recognize that the sun is healthy. Like we know that we know there are a number of, of studies, including a big study that showed that people who don't get sun, like the lack of sun is as big a risk factor for 
um, overall mortality as smoking cigarettes. And so we don't want to just get, you know, you don't want to be hunkered in your house and get right. no sun. Like you want to get out. I tell people like go outside, you know, naked or in a swimsuit um, and just get some sun, but have your face and your neck, you know, covered in sunblock because those things always get sun and they're, and they're going to age. So yeah, sunblock is number one. Now um, real quick on that sunblock topic. So this is, I'm yeah. passionate about this. When I was like 25, I wanted to launch a sunscreen brand, but you know, zinc, zinc, titanium dioxide only non-nanoparticle. Like how important is the nanoparticle and the non-nanoparticle? You know, I don't think that we really know. I mean, we know that the nanoparticles can probably get into our blood. We don't know what that means. Um, I do think that the, the, you know, the blocks are better than the sunscreens, like the oxybenzoins and the coral leaf killer, coral, coral killers and all of those things, coral reef killers. Um, But, but yeah, I don't think that we really know, but I think that there's so many good um, sunblocks now that are, that are not nanoparticles, but that are not showing up on your skin that you can just, you can rub them in pretty easily. It's not like you have like that white, you know, crazy white face that I think that those are great bets and probably are my go-tos for sunblock. Yeah. I use like Suntegrity. I don't know if you're familiar with that one, but it's like non-nano and it has like a tint in it. It's nice. So I like that. And for those listening, all you have to do is look at the active ingredients and just make sure it only says titanium or zinc oxide. If it says pretty much anything else, don't put it on. That's kind of how I go. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. I think that's true. okay. All right. So that's helpful. We get through the sun. Now, what, what else can we do for our, just, um, you know, big like antioxidants are, are really helpful, um, both in diet as well as topically. So like in the morning, you want to get a good antioxidant and most of the, you know, there's like vitamin C and vitamin E and resveratrol. And, um, there's all kinds of like just vitamin rich, um, antioxidant serums that are out there that you want to put on every morning. And that'll help your skin cells be able to repair the damage from, all the things that are kind of assaulting it, whether that's like pollution or EMFs or the sun or your bad diet or the alcohol you drank last night or whatever it is, the antioxidant that you apply topically, as well as that you get in your food will give your, your body the ability to kind of counteract those reactive oxygen species that are attacking your skin cells. Cool. Do you have a favorite brand? Um, I have a couple of brands. I like, uh, skin better sciences has a, has a really nice, um, morning product called Alto that I like a lot. Um, there's, uh, you know, there's, there's so skin has a really nice vitamin C product. Um, there's a lot of great products out there. I think that just anything with, um, with the antioxidants in the morning is really good. Okay. And then what else, what else? And then, um, at night, I'm a big fan of retinoids. Um, there's some controversy about that, but I think that there's overall the science, points of them being very, very safe. Um, And that's, you know, the retinoids includes things like retinol, which is the -the over-the-counter version, um, as well as like tretinoids and retinoids, which are going to be available only through doctors, you know, prescription or non-prescription, but through doctor's offices. And that's going, yeah, that's going to help your, your, your skin cells turn over and keep healthier cells there. Um, And it's one of the best things you can do first for aging skin specifically. Interesting. Okay. So you do that once you're older, like you don't need to do that preventatively when you're younger or not when you're like 20, but I would say like 30 and above start thinking about retinoids. Yeah. I used to say when I turned 30, I was going to get Botox and then I never did. And now I'm like, Oh, maybe when I'm 40. So what's the deal with Botox? Is it safe? How do you feel about Botox? Yeah, I think it's generally safe. Certainly there are some concerns, you know, some people have concerns and I think that we'll continue to follow it, but we've, we've been using it now for, you know, for several decades and, um, it, it only lasts for a couple of months. So that the, the actual the toxin itself um, basically prevents your, your, your nerves from being able to, to fire and make your muscles contract. Um, but it, it ends up getting, you know, it only lasts for a couple of months. So it does go away. So the nice thing about Botox is that if it, if you don't like it, it's not there forever. 
Like it'll yeah. go away and you can, you know, you'll have your normal movement back, but it can help to decrease the formation of what we call dynamic wrinkles, which are the wrinkles that form because you're moving your muscles over and over. So yeah, forehead wrinkles or the ones right here, we call these the 11s that, you yeah. know, the 11 lines in between your forehead yeah. um, or around your eyes. <clears throat> but obviously I think that it can be overdone also. And you have to kind of, you want to look for something that's, that um, is a kind of a middle ground and not everyone loves it. And that's also totally fine as well. I think it's a, it's a good tool and some people like it and some people don't. Yeah. And now you've talked a lot about like stem cells and is it ex- exosomes? Is that how I say that? Yeah. Yep. What are those things? And are you doing like vampire facials and like cool stuff like that? Like what cool stuff are you doing now in the, in the clinical setting? Now yeah. that we've moved out of the home, we've got our retinoids and our scientists. <laughs> um, so I do a lot of work with, with these sort of regenerative medicine tools. So that includes things like stem cells and exosomes and PRP. And, and basically all of these things, and I'll, I'll tell you what they are, but all of these things, the way that they work is we inject them or apply them with microneedling or something, and they get into your skin or into your body, wherever we're using them. And they, they send out these little growth factors and these little, these little communications to your cells that already are in your body. And they're telling your cells, Hey, you guys need to be more active. Like you guys need to stop sitting around and being lazy. Like let's, increase collagen. Let's increase elastin. Let's increase blood vessel formation and blood flow. Let's repair that cartilage. Like let's just stop being lazy. So it's basically kind of kickstarting your own cells, your own stem cells. Um, and the different modalities that are out there, like for instance, stem cell therapies are essentially taking stem cells, usually from the patient, because that's the only kind of legal way to do it right now. But like, I would take your stem cells from your bone marrow or your fat and get your stem cells um, isolated and then inject those stem cells somewhere that we want them to start working, whether that's your skin, your scalp for your, to regrow your hair, your sexual organs, your joints, your, you know, there's all different places we can put them, but they're essentially signaling molecules to help your own body to repair itself and to act more youthful. And then exosomes are basically like the action arm of a stem cell. We get our exosomes from um, placental stem cells. So from newborn baby placentas um, that, and then the lab will, you know, does all kinds of tests and and filters them, but essentially they are the, they're, they're, they're released by stem cells and they're just little messenger bubbles that have within them things like uh, proteins and messenger RNA and such, but essentially they act kind of like a stem cell in telling your body to repair itself. So we can use any of those things. Um, And then the PRP we mentioned earlier, which has come from your blood um, to try to facilitate uh, regeneration or repair of your tissues. Cool. So going back to these exosomes, so they come from when like you're pregnant and they ask if you want to like bank your cord blood, is that where they're coming from? They're not coming from your own. Um, you don't have, it doesn't have to be your own baby. So basically what's, what's interesting about this, about umbilical cord stem cells and exosomes is they're not like, um, other blood products that you have to match them. Like, you know, I have to have like a match for right. my okay. products or organs if you have to have a match, but these particular cells, um, you don't have to have a match. They're called mesenchymal stem cells and you don't have to have a match. They actually will work just as well. Okay. If I, like I, I could give you mine, um, but they wouldn't, you know, you, you don't want mine, but you would want them maybe from like a newborn baby who has Got super it. active, um, cells or, you know, the placenta does at least. So, but what are they doing? Are they like harvesting placentas in the hospital and people don't know? Like, how are we getting these? I just don't get it. That sounds super shady. No, (laughs) 
they, this is all donated birth tissue. Okay. So it's full-term C-section babies. The mother, of course, and the father are consented. And then instead of throwing away the birth tissue, which is the placenta and the umbilical cord that's been cut off, instead of throwing it away and into a dumpster, they donate it to a lab. Do they ask you this? If you, I've had two C-sections. I have no idea if they did this or yeah. not. They, they will ask, they'll ask you, they'll, they'll make you sign papers and they'll ask you. It's a free If they have a program, some hospitals might not, yeah. they might just throw them all away. What a exactly. shame. Exactly. There's so many, I mean, the placenta, it's, it's so fast. There's so many interesting, I'm learning so much about the placenta lately. It's such a fascinating organ because it acts as the go-between between the mother and the baby. So it's like, it like basically is, it's like this amazing little guard that like lets certain things go through and doesn't, you know, not others. And it's, it's got a, some really, really cool regenerative uh, potential. So How yeah. How do we look. save all these? I mean, what, what do you think about encapsulating the p- placenta then? Uh, you know, I don't know that there's any evidence for encapsulating it and eating the placenta, yeah. although, you know, a lot of, a lot of cultures do it and they, they, they like it. Yeah. That because culture it, is called Los Angeles. Let me tell you. That's, <laughs> that's what that culture is called. No, I'm just kidding. But yes, that is a thing. I suspect that and I'm pretty sure that the, whatever you're putting into your stomach, that the stomach acid is going to dissolve, you know, yeah. whatever's in there. Like you're not going to have any active um, bio ingredients because the stomach acid will dissolve it. Um, and it'll break it down into proteins and you might, you know, maybe you get the proteins, but you're not going to get like the stem cell activity of the placenta. Yeah. Now it sounds like you were doing eating. ER, ER work at the time that you had your three babies, but did you bank your cord blood or? No. I didn't. I thought about it. Um, I didn't. And, and I think I'm okay with that. Like I, people ask me a lot now if I would, if I would bank my cord blood and I don't, I don't know that I would, if I had a lot of extra money and I just wanted to, you know, didn't mind having it, the, the cord blood could be helpful if you had, if your child had some kind of blood disorder later, like a leukemia or something like that, where, cause the blood cells, you do have to have a match. Got and it. so that would be, but it's not helpful for all the other things that we're doing in regenerative medicine, like all the other work with stem cells and placental cells and all of that, you don't have to have a match. And so in the next few years, we'll start to have off like off the shelf products that doctors can just buy to inject into patients um, that are from placental sources or from umbilical cords or, you know, different sources like that, that are from other people sterilized. And then you can use them kind of you know, in the masses. So we're, it's going to make all of uh, this regenerative medicine much more, wow. much more democratized because yeah. we'll be able to get it out for less money um, to more people, which will be great. Right now it's a pretty exclusive, expensive treatment, I assume. Yeah, they are expensive now and, and insurance doesn't cover most of this stuff. So yeah. it's, you know, it's a, it's a labor intensive, these are a procedure to get your own stem cells from you. Um, and then from the FDA standpoint, we're not legally allowed to do a lot of the injections with other, like other people's stem cells uh, right now. Got it. And where do you think that will go? Like, that sounds like huge innovation. Like, where's that going to end up? Oh, it's going, it's going like to the moon. Like it's crazy. There's so much stuff happening in the regenerative medicine space right now. So many big companies, um, you know, big pharma has gotten involved because they've seen that, oh my gosh, we, we, we don't get involved and have our own products and we're going to, you know, miss the, miss the boat. So there's tons of um, innovation happening in that space in the biotech space. Um, there's, you know, people are growing little regenerative or like little bitty baby organs, like out of regenerative cells to actually, it'll actually function at some point in humans. Um, it's, it's pretty exciting. There's a lot of cool stuff happening. Really cool. That's amazing. Okay. What about like lasers? Do you do any lasers in your practice? 
Yeah, we do some, we do lasers as well. So lasers are going to use either light or heat or a combination of those things to kind of cause some degree of trauma in your skin. Um, or we also use that. I use, I use vaginal lasers too, but basically you inflict some kind of trauma and then you get your body to repair it. And when you're, when your body repairs it, it often looks more youthful or looks better than it did before. So we can use lasers for everything from, you know, getting rid of sunspots to getting rid of wrinkles to, you know, helping with um, scarring. And there's, there's a whole bunch of different types of lasers uh, depending on kind of what the issue is. What is a vaginal laser used for? A vaginal laser is used to help increase lubrication, to help increase sensation, to help increase pleasure, um, and also to improve the symptoms of stress urinary incontinence. So like if you're not able to like jump on a trampoline or sneeze or laugh without peeing a little bit, which is very common in women who've had children, um, then these lasers can help with that as well. Cool. Well, now I remember reading after your, I think maybe the twins, you have twins, right? Sorry. I do. Yeah. Soccer. Like I feel like I'd know this about you and I've never met you before. <laughs> So you have twin girls, correct? Correct. Yeah, you're doing great. Third is I don't know. Boy, yeah. I have girl. My my girls are thirteen. My son is eleven. Oh, so fun. Yeah. Um, Where was I going with this? Oh, after pregnancy, did you you had dias? How do I say this? Diastasis. Oh, diastasis recti. yeah. Yeah. What did you do about that? Um, I, I kind of still have it. I'm, I'm not, I haven't been very good about doing like the, you know, basically what that is, is, you know, it's when your abdominal, your rectus, abdominal rectus muscles, which goes up and down on your abdomen, it like splits open. And so you have this like hole in the muscle and mine's not so bad that you can see it unless I'm doing like crunches. Um, but it's kind of cool. Sometimes I'll make my, I'll make my husband like put his hand oh, down yeah. in between the muscles. I haven't. Cause you, could, Cause you could like feel like the aorta back there. It's, oh, yeah. it's like the creepiest thing. And I love it. Um, but there are, there are, you know, physical therapy programs that are out there that you could do online okay. that I could do online. I just haven't, I just haven't done it, but I should. I haven't either, but I don't know. I was hoping you had some like stem cell or something for me. That could be an easier solution. <laughs> yes. <laughs> can you I work on I, that? Can I you will. I wish I did. That fix this for us. Without the effort, right? Like, I don't want to do like, like weird <sighs> exercises for two months to fix this thing. Maybe Pilates or something could help us. I'm not sure. Um, (laughs) All right. So the other big part of your practice seems to be anti-aging and there's just like so much exciting stuff happening here. So I guess I want to know about rapamycin. Mm, Yeah. That's what I'm really curious about. I was talking to Mark earlier today. I'm like, I'm interviewing this Dr. J. I'm so excited. I'm like, what do you think about rapamycin? Mark's like, you know, I'm going to do a whole podcast with him, but he's like fan of testosterone. Hasn't really done much else. Um, but he's like, I don't know, that shit's poison. You got to be careful. I'm like, I don't know. Is it? I'm kind of, I sent him that <laughs> some paper. I'm like, you got to read this and tell me your real thoughts. But I wanted to ask you, like, what are you thinking on this one? Yeah. You know, I'm, I, I think that rapamycin is, I think it's awesome. Um, I think that, you know, obviously it's, it's basically going to be, um, affecting mTOR levels, which is an inhibitor of mTOR, which basically, um, in multiple different types of animal studies has been shown to improve longevity. So it's one of the only drugs that have been tried in everything from like worms all the way through, you know, to all different animals and every single model it's been shown to be helpful for improving longevity. Um, and yeah, and and unfortunately there's not enough that's probably uh, work that's been done in humans yet because it, there are some side effects it's a it's a drug that's been used that's been uh, was actually FDA approved for um like as a chemo drug like as a it's okay. not you know it's not it's not like a a supplement that you can just pop in your mouth right, and it's course, I, yeah. 
it's, it's, it has some serious side effects um, if you were to take the wrong dose. So the idea behind rapamycin for, for longevity is that you would take a small dose, like maybe once a week um, or you know, once a week for a few months and then, and then go off, but that it would cause some, um, some increase in uh, senolytic activity. So increase in killing off these, these senescent cells or these zombie cells, which are one of the factors that cause aging. Um, and it acts a little bit like caloric restriction also. Like it's instead of, you know, instead of having to like watch what you eat and not eat very much, rapamycin, you know, may be able to do that on its own. Um, so, you know, I have, uh, I will say that I don't prescribe it for my patients yet uh, just because I think there's there's not all that much out, out there about it. But I do think that there's so much potential that it's something that I may start prescribing, you know, soonish. We'll see. Interesting. Have you taken it? Yes. Mm, interesting. Yes. Uh, this is one of those, this is one of those do as I say that not as I do situations. Yeah. yeah. But, you're right? really <laughs> experimental with your own stuff. Aren't you? Like, I feel like you're trying everything. On I, do. I, I do. And that's not necessarily a good thing, but I am, uh, you know, if, before I do anything with patients, I almost always do them on myself and that's, you know, I'll do my own injections. I'll do like, I'll do, I'll do all kinds of things, whether that's peptides, whether that's drugs. Um, I have been taking metformin for several years, which is another, another kind of big longevity yeah. drug metformin or berberine, I think probably has some of the same benefits and that one's less, less um, controversial. And I think at this point, and I definitely give that one to patients. That's not something that I'm worried about that much. Um, so you can, people can start with, with metformin or berberine and that does something a little different, but it's, it's also potentially really helpful. And berberine, is that just like a supplement you can buy at the supplement store? Yeah. Berberine is a supplement and it has some of the same activity as metformin. So metformin is increases AMPK, which is going to go on to affect a bunch of things, but berberine has a lot of the same activity and you, you can just get that as a supplement. You know, obviously you want to get a good source for supplements and don't just go buy them off the shelf of Walmart. Um, but if you get it from the right place, uh, there's a lot of indications that berberine is, is similar to metformin. Cool. And metformin is a commonly prescribed like diabetes drug, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's a diabetes drug. It's been around for decades. Um, and what they found was in looking at like these diabetic patients that were on it is the diabetic, the, di the patients with diabetes who were taking metformin long-term actually ended up having lower mortality rate and less cancer risk and less cardiovascular disease and less, all of these things, very like multiple things, lower rates of all of these things than this other population that was similarly matched, but wasn't diabetic. And so that's kind of got what got people thinking, well, that's interesting. Like the diabetic population yeah, should be, supposed to worse. be more at risk. So if it's bringing them down below the non-diabetics, it's exactly. But what we don't know is how that works in like a healthy population. Like we don't know for, you know, if someone like me or you takes it, is it really that helpful? And then there's also some evidence that, um, that metformin will decrease your ability to bulk up a lot and like build a lot of muscle. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't affect strength. It doesn't affect working out, but it potentially could affect actual bulking up. So if you're working, you know, if you're trying to be a bodybuilder Got and like it. do like a, fit a fitness competition, then yeah. it may not be your best thing. Okay. Interesting. And that one you need a prescription for that's like a doctor. Yeah. I mean, it's gotta be one of the most widely prescribed drugs I would think in America right now. It's widely prescribed. It's very cheap. Not all doctors will prescribe it for longevity purposes, right. but a lot of them, I mean, a lot of them will. Body. 
diabetics we have in this country, you'd think. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah there's tons for diabetes or even like pre-diabetics. You know, we have, I've had all of my pre-diabetic patients on metformin for years, even before it was being talked about for longevity, because, you know, pre-diabetes will eventually become diabetes. Right. And so if we can stop it, uh, at, before that happens, you know, we know that lower blood sugars are by far one of the best things we can do for ourselves. So, you know, keeping those blood sugars low is, is, is ideal. Yeah. Do you use like a continuous glucose monitor or anything like that? done it yet more, more because I'm just lazy than anything else, but I do check my blood counts and I get, you know, check my insulin levels and my hemoglobin A1C and all of those on, on blood counts. And I, you know, I'm taking metformin. I'm also, um, you know, watching what I eat. So I don't think that they're, that it's that high, but you know, it'd be good to see, I mean, it'd be see what, to see what spikes yeah. her blood sugar and such. Yeah. Um, okay. I want to hear though more about what other things you've tried on yourself. This is so interesting. So you're still doing metformin now, like you're a believer, you're going to stay on it for a while. Yeah, I'm still on it. You know, I will say that it, it it causes like nausea and vomiting and diarrhea and like a lot of like upset stomach when you first start it, it, it goes away. But those first like few weeks, you know, I was just always like, what am I doing? This is so crazy, but it, it's fine now. I don't, I don't have a problem now, but yeah, I'm still doing that. Um, I do some of the supplements that are, that are popular in the, in the, res, in the um, longevity space, like the resveratrol and that, you know, the um, NAD, like NAD, uh, boosting things like in a man or, or in our, um, I do, um, you know, like vitamin D and vitamin, you know, the, all the things like, like that, that I think that people are talking about. I've what tried about exogenous ketones. Have you tried exogenous ketones? I haven't done ketones. Um, I had, well, I did when I was, there was a phase years ago when I was, when I was doing, when I was doing keto diet and I did do keto, you know, some exogenous ketones then. Um, I haven't really done keto since then. I didn't really like it that much, but, um, I mean, it worked. I lost, I lost weight, but then I didn't really like it that much. <laughs> oh, you don't have any weight to lose. Like what did you lose? Like three pounds? I mean, give me a break. Come on. <laughs> well, what, you know, what was interesting is at the time I lost like seven pounds okay. um, over the course of about a month. And what was interesting, wow. and I stopped doing it. Cause I was like, I don't, I don't need to lose more. I don't like it. It's fine. But over the next year, I never gained that back. It was almost like really? it reset. From the keto diet. Yeah. And I don't know if I mean, it's probably atypical, but I wonder if it kind of reset, um, you know, my metabolism, or I was just looking at food differently. Like I was, you know, I would see yeah. the number of carbohydrate, you know, the carbohydrate, um, in, in every, every food I'd be like, Oh, calculating that in my head before I ate it. So maybe it was part of that. I don't know, but yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, what else have I done? I've done, you know, I've done different, some different peptides, um, which are fun, so, you know, in, including some injectables as well as like oral peptides. Um, and you which, have an oral peptide supplement, don't you now? I do. Yeah. I do. So tell us yeah. about that. So and I have tell everyone about oral peptides. Like we sell collagen protein at Primal Kitchen, right? So people are familiar with collagen peptides, but yeah. Give us a lowdown on peptides. The peptides, like, as you know, they're just small proteins. They're just really short little proteins. Um, and the there's, there's peptides for all different things. Essentially they they're, they're the part of the protein that is active and doing something. So there's hundreds of different peptides out there, um, which usually require you to go through a doctor depending on kind of what it is, but the, they can do all different things. So I have a, an oral supplement, it's called rapid rebound. We'll give you the codes for it, but basically it's an oral uh, daily supplement that has two different peptides in it, as well as another uh, fatty acid. And they the whole point of it is to help improve healing, um, like gut healing, as well as musculoskeletal healing and helps with, you know, exercise recovery. It helps with inflammation and pain, um, as well. So it's kind of a, um, it's kind of, it kind of does a lot of different things for people who are really active, people who exercise frequently and when to be able to bounce back quickly. Cool. I love it. And that's your, is that your only product right now? 
Yes, that's our. It's taken a while to get that one out there with the with the supply chain issues and the like. Oh. It's it's crazy. This, it's, it's crazy. But um, yeah, that one launched a couple of weeks ago, and um, and it's been good. And people have been excited about it. Congrats! It's a big deal to bring that to market. So, how are those different than like collagen peptides? Are they synthetically created or? Um, it depends on the which, on the one. Like, I mean, all of them are. In, I kind of hate to use the word synthetic versus yeah. natural, right? Like even things that are natural are generally created synthetically right. in or some way. A lot of processing to get into. The yeah, exactly. They're modified in some way, but like um, the peptides in the supplement that I have, the BPC one five seven, which is a very commonly known peptide for healing, that is naturally found in your gastric juice, so your stomach juice. Like everyone has it; it's already there, so it's a natural peptide. But obviously, we're not going out and like draining stomach juices from everybody to get this. So it is made synthetically in the lab, but it's the exact same peptide that you already have in your stomach juice. Um, okay. So that one, and then the other one that's in there that that is in that blend is called AOD 9604. And that's actually a growth hormone fragment. So it's a fragment of human growth hormone. Um, so it does some of the, it has some of the positive benefits of growth hormone without some of the negative side effects that come with using growth hormone. Okay. So let's, let's go there then. Talk to me about HGH, human growth hormone. Are you using that a lot in your practice? Do you think it's like outdated? What do you think about I'm not using it a lot. I do have some patients on it, but I use it kind of specifically and sparingly, um, mostly because of the regulatory stuff around growth hormone there. The it's interesting. It's not a controlled substance, but it's one of the most highly regulated, um, things that we can prescribe. And we've, and a lot of doctors have gotten in trouble for, for prescribing growth hormone, oh, really? um, off label. So as doctors, we're allowed to prescribe things off label, which means, you know, if yeah. it's, a, if, it, if a drug has been approved for, you know, headache pain, you can give it to someone for their ankle pain or their sore throat. Like it's a, you know, you can use it how, as you see fit yeah. uh, once it's approved, but for some reason they decided that growth hormone isn't like that, that basically it's only, you can only use it for these two or three things, um, which I think is kind of crazy, but uh, you know, there's some interesting studies that have been done. Um, Greg Fahey did a, did a uh, big study called, um, that was out uh, just a few years ago where they looked at, you know, they had metformin growth hormone and DHEA, and they combined those things together, um, over a year to see how p- patients reacted. And they saw huge benefits with like thymus regeneration and improvements in some of the longevity markers. Um, so I think that growth hormone has its place, but you do have to be kind of careful with it because of prescribing issues. Got it. And also, isn't there some like concern that you, if there's cancer in your body and you're taking human growth hormone, it would like increase the, is that true? Or it, you- there is a concern about that, but I think that it's mostly been shown not to be, um, a, a, a real, a real concern. It's, um, in fact, people who have higher growth hormone levels tend to do better when they get cancer. And because they, you know, growth hormone is like, an, it's, it's kind of like an anti-aging, you know, it's going to help your skin. It's going to help you, you know, your, your blood vessels, your brain, your bones, like it, it helps all these things because it's so anabolic, like it's building up. It's a, it's a buildup kind of, you know, hormone. Yeah. Um, and as we get older, we lose that, we lose growth hormones, which is why we become, it's one reason we become more and more frail. And uh, we, we are, we're not in that anabolic state. We're in this sort of catabolic or breaking down of our body state. So I think overall growth hormone has a lot of benefits, but we just don't know the best way to do it yet. Is it to do it for a year and then lay off of it for a while? Is it to do it for a few months, you know, and then you have the regulation issues as well. Got it. Yeah. Makes sense. So what about bioidentical hormones? Do you do any of that in your practice? Yeah, we do a lot of bioidentical hormones and I'm a big fan of those. I think that there's, uh, you know, everyone's different, of course, and I can't give medical advice, but I will say that 
you know, for most people, bioidentical hormones are going to be more helpful than they are harmful um, in keeping you, you know, more youthful. I don't mean like just your skin. I mean like your body, like your brain, your blood vessels, your your you know your organs, your you know everything. Um, there's so much evidence out there, whether it's estrogen or testosterone um, and progesterone as well, that if we can keep those levels kind of at more youthful levels as we get older, then you seem to be able to age better, healthier. Yeah. And is it like better to start younger? Like when do people start these? I feel like, yeah, I'm in my late thirties. Right. So these questions are just like looming. Like, should we be thinking about this now? Or do you just wait until you're 55? I don't know. What do you do? Well, for women, I, you know, I would recommend getting your hormones checked probably when you're like 35 or 40, but you don't probably need to do anything, especially if you're having some symptoms. Like if you're noticing that you're gaining weight and you know, you're having a hard time building muscle or your, your libido is down or you're not sleeping well, or you're having, you know, hot flashes or whatever, like you're having some kind of new symptoms, then it's good to get your hormones and all your other blood tests checked. Um, a lot of times women in the 10 years before menopause will start having lower progesterone levels and lower testosterone levels. And so depending on the person, we can replace those in those in that time, but it's not till after menopause menopause that you lose estrogen and estrogen is the, is like the really important one for everything from vaginal health to skin health, to hair health, to, you know, all the things. Um, and then for men, it's testosterone primarily, and that starts going down. Um, you know, it used to be after age 40, we would see like a 10% drop, you know, per decade or so, but I'm seeing a lot of guys in their like early thirties who have low testosterone now because of just the way that we live, you know, we're overweight, we're not exercising, we're exposed to all kinds of um, endocrine disruptors in the environment. Um, we're stressed, you know, we're not sleeping, like all of those things affect your testosterone. And so I'm seeing men in their late twenties, early thirties, who should have sky high testosterones who are, have super low testosterones. And that's probably the reason for it. Easy. And then is it what shots for testosterone or how do you if, if, a, if the guy, well, for men, if you're young and pretty healthy, like less than 50 or so, then some, we can, we can oftentimes kind of jumpstart your own production. Again, you can, your testes will still make testosterone and we can do some medications here and there. If you're over 50 or so, oftentimes we'll have to do shots. Um, and then for women, we can do replacement with testosterone, you know, all different ways. It can be a trochee, like under the tongue, or it can be a cream, or it can be, um, a shot in some cases. Is, aren't these pellets a thing with bioidentical? You can do pellets. Yeah, we what do pellets for men and women. Under your skin, what are these pellets? That, yeah, they're like these little tiny, like a little bit bigger than a rice grain okay. um, pellets that, that I or one of my staff would make a tiny little incision, like maybe a centimeter incision, um, kind of like on your lower back, like love handle area. And, um, and we just put the little pellets kind of under the skin there and then sew it up and they sit there and they dissolve slowly over the course of like three to five months and releasing the hormones slowly. So you don't have to take them every day. They're just getting released into your body. Cool. Yeah. I love it. And are most people starting them like after menopause, would you say the hormone replacement therapy stuff for women? Um, unless they're doing progesterone using it to go through menopause. Yeah. And sometimes that can ease a lot of the symptoms of menopause. Is that right? Most people, uh, most of my patients, once they hit menopause, then they'll start, you know, doing the hormone replacement therapy with estrogen before that we don't do estrogen, but you can do progesterone and testosterone, even in, you know, even in fairly young women, 35, have, 40 year old women. Have you done the, those? I, I, I didn't find for me, it's there. I, I don't tend to 
I I've, I've actually looked at my my genomics, my uh, hormone genetics, and I I'm someone who makes testosterone, um, but doesn't really make a lot of estrogen. I don't know why. Um, it's very interesting. But so for me personally, um, I I didn't find replacing testosterone to be helpful because I was already making it. Yeah. Um, and it can cause side effects. You can get like you know you can break out, you can get acne, yeah. you, can get, you know, and that wasn't that wasn't my favorite thing. Awesome. So um, I you know once I go through menopause, I I definitely will do hormone replacement. I just got to figure out like the right dose for me because everyone's very different, which is why it's so personalized. And how are you doing this genomics testing? So the company that I use is called the DNA company and they have some fantastic functional genomics testing that basically gives you like a whole pathway, whether it's your hormones or whether it's like cardiovascular health or brain, they do all these things. And they tell you kind of what, you know, different sort of genetic snips you have, we call it. So, you know, differences in your genetics, but then they give you this huge report that tells you like what all this means. Um, Like for instance, this is also interesting from that same report. I learned that I am someone who needs, I should be living like in the sun. Like I should be living in a warm, sunny environment because I don't have the ability to transport vitamin D. Like some people can transport it. I can't transport it very well, which means that I can't take like a big dose of vitamin D, you know, 10,000 international units once a week, because it'll just all be flushed out. I kind of need to take like small doses throughout the day or be getting sun every day um, because otherwise it's not going to work for me. So there's things like that, that like, you just don't even no, that's a thing that this test yeah. uh, can show you. And I don't work for them or anything, but I do know the guys behind it and they're very smart. Cool. Yeah. I've done like self decode. And I mean, I just, can you upload your like 23 and me data there? I would yeah, you can, you can actually, and they can give you, uh, and, and then if there's any extra tests you need, they can do it for you, but they can give you their reports um, from the 23. Oh, I'm totally going to get I believe. I've uploaded mine to Rhonda Patrick's site to the Sterling report. So I'm like obsessed with someone. <laughs> Tell yes. me what all this means. It's like, right. it's confusing, but that sounds cool. It sounds very like actionable. Self-decode's cool too. I don't know. Have you ever checked them out? I haven't done that. They one. do they a lot of like reports and stuff from your raw DNA data, but. This, yeah, the, all those reports are so cool, but then I also get like overwhelmed. Oh, and I'm totally. always like, ah, I don't know what all I know. this means. <laughs> I know. Well, and I'm a like kind of psycho. It sounds like you're definitely more psycho than me. I'm just like wanting the information, right? Like the blood work and the trying this. And even for me, that stuff is like, I can dig in. Like I could go into the research for like three hours, but the DNA stuff, I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't even, yeah. I don't know. Sulfur yeah. and methylation. And I'm confused. Like I don't have MTHFR. I know that's good. And yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a yeah. lot. <laughs> it is a lot. Um, so we talked about rapid recovery. Let's see. What is a carbos? A carbos, am I saying that right? Oh yeah. A carbos. Yeah. Yeah. A carbos. Yeah. What is that? That is a drug. Um, it's also a diabetes drug, interestingly enough, there's several of these that are out there now. So a carbos has been around for a long time and it is one of the few drugs that's been found in like these, they did these big, um, mouse studies like across multiple different labs. And they look at different potential longevity drugs in these big studies. And a carbos was one of the few drugs that actually showed, um, longevity benefits in these mouse studies that they are, are they're conducting all the time. And basically what it does is it prevents you, your, your stomach and your intestines from being able to, um, to break down like glucose and other like sugars, uh, like complex sugars, it, it makes it, so it does a, it does it very slowly. So essentially instead of like getting these sugars 
quickly into your bloodstream, your body breaks them down much more slowly. And so you're getting this much slower, um, in, you know, infiltration of sugar into your blood. And so it supposedly helps, you know, it helps with diabetes, but it potentially could help with, um, with longevity as well by the same kind of mechanism. Cool. That's exciting. So it's kind of like, yeah, interesting. All these diabetes medication, because really, I mean, the root cause of all this aging stuff is poor metabolic health. I mean, is that just the truth? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the main thing. And, and, you know, obviously with, with blood sugar is one of the main things and and because blood sugar then, you know, contributes to inflammation and, and that's one of the big players in aging. Yeah. And you mentioned you did the keto diet earlier. Like what's your nutrition journey been? Like, were you always like, when you were in med school, were you super into health stuff? Like, how'd you know you wanted to be a doctor? Like what's your history? Do family doctors like, (laughs) no, I was, um, so I was a biomedical science major in college. So I did like the science, but I was not going to be a doctor. I was like, I just want to, I'll do something with science. And then I was working at Yellowstone national park for a couple of summers during college. And I was like this hippie, like, you know, like, I don't know, hippie person. Oh, I love it. Um, and it was oh, were so you living fun. in your car or something? What do you mean you were this hippie? No, person? I lived in, I worked in, like, I worked for the park. Okay. Um, and so I, I lived like in a cabin with other, you know, other like young hippie people. And, um, and so I was doing that all summer. And, but did, I realized that I was about to graduate from college. I didn't have a plan. And so I was like, you know, maybe I should just take the MCAT, which is, you know, the test to get into right. medical school. But I was working at this, at this, you know, place in Yellowstone. I had no access. There's this like before we had like internet and like, you know, all the things. So I had no access to learn anything about the test. So I had a friend send me a book, like of, of just, qu- you know, test questions. Okay. And so like in between whatever else I was doing, hiking and backpacking and, you know, working as an, as an auditor, I would, um, I would just, I would read this book and study and I took the MCAT. I did okay. And eventually I basically just kind of kept thinking like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I guess I'll just eventually went to med school. Cause it was kind of like the next what you um, just, just what you do. It's kind of like the next thing that I could do without having to like think a lot about it. Um, and so it was, it was interesting because I, and I loved it. I went through medical school. It was super fun, but it wasn't until I left the emergency department, you know, eight years ago that I ever like stopped and like had to like look ahead of me and, and not have a roadmap and make a choice and figure out what to do. Like prior to that, every step had been like, just, you just do the next thing. Like you just keep going. The next thing is already there. Um, and so it was interesting to have to like actually figure out like what the hell I was doing. Um, eight oh years my God. Ago. but you say the next thing is just there and you just keep going, but like to, to just be like, well, you just like go to med school. Cause you know, you take the MCAT and it's fine. And that's just what you do. That is like a lot of drive. I mean, it is, but it's not the same as like being an entrepreneur, for instance. And you, I think you can appreciate this. Like when, when you when you go to medical school, you know, you had to, you had to study and you have to learn stuff, but like, there's never any question on what your next step is. Like it's yeah. right there, you know, you're, you're on the path. You're kind of like on the treadmill. You're just going you're on a path and you, yeah. yes, it's a hard, you know, the it's treadmill a long, hard sometimes, yeah. yes, but, but you're just, you know what you're going to do and you know how right. to do it. Um, and you just put the time in versus like what you do, um, or, and what I try to do. And now like yours, there's, there, there's no path. Like there's, right. it's just like a wide open, like ocean. Yeah. And you have no idea. Like, yeah, you're like, which direction do I go? How hard should I paddle? What should I bring with me? Like, I have no idea. And so that's kind of where I've been in the last eight years. And you know, I'm sure you can appreciate kind of what that looks like. Yeah. Are you liking it? Oh, I love it. It's so fun. Yeah. You seem like very free spirited. Like, you seem like a perfect entrepreneur. Like, I I mean, vision. You're ahead of the times, (laughs) technology wise. You, you're like you're just like living the lifestyle. I mean, I look at you and I'm like, okay, what are you doing though? Exactly what facial, exactly what I want to know everything. I want to know what workouts you're doing, what your diet is. Like you seem like you've just 
Oh, you're Got making it all me going I'm, like, I'm like blushing over here. I'm feeling so happy. Um, well, thank you. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I, first of all, I think that Instagram, you know, makes things always look better than they really okay, are. But so. I'm talking to you right now. I mean, we're not even on Instagram, but yes, fair enough. <laughs> right. It is the root of all evil. I'm but no, I'm very, I'm very happy. I'm very, I'm very lucky. Uh, you know, I have a, I have a lot of great stuff and, um, and I, and I, I'm lucky that I get to kind of make mistakes. Yeah. And still, and still be able to go forward. You know, I've made a ton of mistakes, but I haven't had to, had to start all the way over because I've had such good support from family and friends and people like that. Yeah. And where'd you grow up? And you did, um, no, in Texas, in a small town, small town, Texas. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. How'd you end up in Yellowstone? Um, I don't even know. My mom was like, mom had a friend who was working there and was like, you should go. And I, you know, I didn't really, I didn't know anything. Like I didn't, I'd never really done any backpacking or hiking or, you know, any of this outdoor stuff. And I just showed up. I was like this, like little, like little girl from Texas, um, when I was like 19 years old and I just showed up and, um, and it was great. I learned how to hitchhike. I learned how to, um, you know, how to backpack. I learned how to do like all these things that I had no idea I was going to do. Yeah. I lived in South America for like two and a half years after college and I can very much relate. I think you got to be like a vagabond hippie at one point in your life. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fun. The people that you meet, like it's the best. It's the best. And also I think you really learn even, especially getting out of the country, but you really learn like, what do I truly need? And you really don't need a lot. Yeah. And you come home and you get a job and you like, then just create this lifestyle that you have to work really hard to afford. And you realize like, I was really happy living off 10 grand a year in South America for three years. So yeah. Yeah. I went to my husband and I, before we got married, went to Guatemala and we had a, um, we decided we had, we were only going to spend $5 a day and that was total. Like that was on our hostel. That was on our food. Mm. That was on like literally everything. And I remember like, you know, there were some days that were tough and we were pretty hungry, but, but it was actually possible. Like we actually went through, you know, like for several weeks in in Guatemala and spent $5 a day. And it was kind of amazing. Yeah. I remember people ask me like, Oh, how did you like afford to live in South America that long? I'm like, hostels were $8. I mean, it was 10 bucks a night for housing. So, you know, you really didn't, need that much money to have a lot of fun, but anyway, okay. Going back. So what are you doing diet wise now? I think I started here and I don't know how we got soft. You're doing keto for a while. Yeah. And what's your, yeah. What's your just like nutrition journey been like you, Texas. So I, so nutrition wise, I grew up in Texas at, you know, just normal, I don't know, Texas food, like comfort food kind of stuff. Um, and I was, I was, I was like, I was an athlete, you know, an athlete in high school and played volleyball and basketball. And so I was pretty fit then. Then I went to college and I gained, um, like, I think that I, I mean, I was, it was my, like, I think I gained like 30 pounds. Um, I was, I was in college. I was 30 pounds heavier than I am right now and didn't realize it, uh, you know, kind of crept up on me, but I have pictures from that, that time. And I'm always like, Ooh, yeah, I definitely, definitely look different. <laughs> um, but the, you know, college is eating ramen noodles and like trying to, um, just didn't, just didn't do anything yeah, right. Yeah. And then, um, after college, I went on a 30 day, um, backpacking trip in the wind river range in uh, Wyoming and started to lose some of that weight, uh, which, cause we were backpacking for 30 days. Um, and then became, you know, a little bit more interested in, in diet, but really, you know, not, not, not that much. Cause then I went right into medical school, right into ER residency. So it was a seven year period of just kind of, you know, eating here and there and just yeah. kind of trying to survive, but also not ever having time to eat very much. Yeah. So that, that kind of formed the way that I kind of treat food now. Like I, I, I eat almost anything, but I just don't eat all that much. I try to keep my portions relatively small, um, so that I can, 
I can overeat occasionally, but I am not doing it like on, you know, on the regular, um, certainly try to eat lower, lower glycemic food and help, you know, sort of more whole foods, but not always like, you know, I, I slip up like anyone else, but, but yeah, I think medical school and and residency, when you're just like rushing to eat, um, in between everything else was where that started. And then really started, I think eight or so years ago when I left the ERs, when I started becoming, you know, healthier and paying more attention to, you know, to diet as well as sleep and all the other things. So what does a day in the life look like now, diet-wise? Um, I usually have a protein bar in the morning. Um, and protein kind of, bar are you buying? Some kind of caffeine. Um, I kind of go through different ones. I like the Think Thin bars. Okay. Um, which Santa are, Monica Company. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've, I have several different ones that I kind of rotate between. And, and then I'll do some kind of caffeinated something, coffee or tea or something else. Um, and then lunch is usually something kind of small, like, I don't know, like a sandwich or some, um, you know, like a little soup or I don't know, something that's small ish. Um, and then I don't tend to snack too much and then I'll have like a, a normal kind of healthier dinner. Like I'll try to have some kind of grilled meat and a vegetable and maybe a smoothie with some, veg- with, with some fruit. Um, I don't know, things like that. I, but I, but I eat kind of, I kind of, I, I don't, I don't like to cook that much, unfortunately. So, um, I just kind of eat whatever I can cook. <laughs> yeah, I know. I fall into that a lot too. I'm like, what's in the fridge? Okay. Yeah. So not, you're not really like big into, are you doing any fasting or how do you feel about fasting these days? I love that. I love the idea of fasting. Um, I've done short, you know, short fast, like from like, I'll maybe skip breakfast and eat lunch and do that kind of thing. Like the 16 hour fast, I think it's a, it's a great idea. I think it's really good for stem cells and all of that. I just, um, I just kind of like to eat. So I haven't done a whole lot of fasting. No, that makes sense. Okay. I have a few like last random questions for you that are just more along these lines, but I'm curious before we get into it, what is the full body stem cell makeover? So that is a procedure that my colleague, Dr. Harry Adelson up in Park City and I kind of pioneered um, years ago for Dave Asprey, actually. Um, he was our first patient, but we essentially, we get patients, we have them come in, we put them to sleep with anesthesia, and then we get their stem cells, we add in exosomes and PRP, and we inject every major joint in the body, um, every, you know, all the, all down the neck and back, the shoulders, the elbows, the wrists, the, you know, the hips, the knees, the toes, like basically every major joint. And then while Harry's doing that, I will inject the whole scalp. Um, I'll do the whole face. I'll do micro microneedling in the face as well, the face, the neck. Um, and then I'll do the sexual injections and then I'll either do shockwave therapy or a vaginal laser. And that all kind of happens during a two and a half hour period of time. I mean, it's kind of surgery, but not surgery, really. Really. Yeah, right? it's just like it's a, it's a procedure because we're having to get the stem cells from the patient and we're doing a lot of injections, but you're asleep. And shockingly, when you wake up, despite hundreds of injections, most people like they feel pretty good. Hundreds of injections. This is no joke. Does it take yeah. the most time to pull the stem cells out, or why do you have to be under general anesthesia? Yeah, just because I mean, people get tired of getting uh, poked with needles. We found yeah. <laughs> like it's just easier. You know, it's just more relaxing. It's I guess, more relaxing for them and us. And if they're asleep, they don't have to use you know you don't have to use lo- local numbing cream or lidocaine, which is not great for stem cells. So we found that they're just patients are much happier with their sleep, and we can do it all much faster and do a better job. And is this like a one and done, or you do this every couple of years, or what's the deal with this well, one? We, uh, we haven't been repeating them. We probably you know probably not more than one every five years. Some people will do one and then come back. A you know, a year or two later for like a touch-up, like they just want their knee done or they just want their, their face done. Um, but you wouldn't need to have the whole thing over and over again. And it's what's, what are they noticing? Like after they do this? 
It depends on what their concern was. Like if they have, you know, if they have a problem, like if they had, you know, some a knee pain or hip pain or something, then obviously we hope that that gets better and often does. Um, a lot of people, probably half of our patients now are sort of these like biohacker, you know, sorts yeah. that are just doing it to try to prevent, um, future problems or kind of optimize function. And so a lot of times, yeah, a lot of times they'll, they'll, they'll feel kind of almost like better lubricated. We hear like a lot of people are just like doing extra, like exercising easier joints aren't as creaky. They're sleeping better. Their energy is better. Um, you know, skin, it looks better, things like that. Very cool. Okay. Here's my rapid fire questions. I know we're almost out of time, but, um, what is one of the treatments you've done on yourself that you like regret or injection or anything that you're like, Oh, that one, I botched that one, or I shouldn't have done that one. Um, I put filler underneath my eyes one time I did it on myself and I did a really bad job. And every morning my eyes would be like swollen up like this. And I couldn't ever have like any, you know, podcast until afternoon because the swelling would go down throughout oh the my day. God. It was awful. Why did you put the filler under your eyes? Because I have these dark circles and these like very indented under eyes and I've always had them and I always hate them. And so I tried to fix it. And you but... tried to fill them in. Got it. But yeah. it didn't work. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was awful. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Okay. What are you most excited about in health and wellness? I feel like we've touched on a few of them, but I'm curious, like just in the space, what you're most excited about. I'm most excited about all of the kind of converging of different tech into the, you know, into longevity space, like the AI and robotics and nanotech and, and regenerative medicine, all these things kind of coming together. Like we're starting to actually, I think in the next five or 10 years, we'll actually see us being able to increase lifespan in a very real way. Cool. Who's inspiring you these days? Uh, I love David Sinclair from lifespan. Yeah. I like to have a crush on him. He knows oh. it. Um, I, <laughs> David, <laughs> he's so cute. Um, yeah, he's, a, I have a big crush on him. I, um, you know, George church and some of the, like the Greg Fahey here doing other research in that space, I think are amazing as well. Cool. Um, what is the hardest hurdle you've ever overcome? I think it was when I left the ER, it was that, that transition period. My marriage was not going well. You know, I had these three children under the age of two. I was barely surviving. I was trying to learn something new. I wasn't making any money at that. Like there's just all of these things that kind of came together. That was, um, it was a tough few years. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of that, I read a post that you put up about, this is like really showing my stalker skills here, but this is a total side note. Sorry for everyone listening. This is a totally personal question. You, did you sleep train the twins or did you just sleep train your third? I slept train. I, yeah, I did the twins as well. Um, it was, what was amazing. They were five months old at the time and they were still getting up each of them three times a night. And I was working so that's six times a night. I was having to get up at three in the morning to go to work. And I finally like, was like, this is not working. So I read a book called 12 hours of sleep by 12 weeks of age by this Brazilian mom of twins changed my My, life. My cousin recommended that book to me. Sarah. So good. good. What a riot. Okay. Um, biggest success in life thus far. Um, I think, I think it's just kind of, it's that it's kind of getting to where I am now, like getting, being able to branch off and like trust myself to like embrace a whole thing, like this whole skin and sex thing, which is not even a real field, like making it it something and and calling it something and just like going out and, and talking about it, um, and trusting myself to do that. I think it's been, been pretty hard. Yeah. Well, you've got that entrepreneur thing going now. So, so fun. Um, okay. This is my last one. This is my favorite question, but what's something most people don't know about you? Ooh, that's a really tough one. Um, when I was a kid, I used to collect rubber fishing worms 
you know, the kind of worms that you buy at the fishing store that are yeah. like, there's all different ones. Yeah. I had like hundreds of rubber fishing worms and I had names for all of them and I would get them. I didn't, I didn't like Barbies. I didn't like dolls. I didn't like any of the girly stuff, but I had um, a rubber fishing worm collection that I would, um, that I named and I would, I would play with. That's amazing. I love it. This is great. Well, thank you so much. Why don't you tell everyone where they can find you? And if you want to give us a code, I, I'm really curious about um, your re- regen. Is it called regen? Rapid it's recovery. Called, uh, rapid rapid recovery. Rebound. Yeah, yeah. Give everyone a. So rapid rebound is at letter 11 labs. That's all just spelled out letter 11 labs.com. And the code, if you want a discount of 25% is killin 25 K I L L E N 25. Um, and then other ways to find me on Instagram, I'm at Dr. Amy B killin. And I'm also on Facebook at Dr. Amy killin. I'm on YouTube at Amy killin MD. And I have multiple websites, but Dr. Amy killin.com is probably the easiest to find. Awesome. This was so great to connect. Thank you so much. Appreciate you spending the time with us. Thank you.